Good evening. We continue the, the series of uh, the Talmud. Last week we finished Masechet Eruvin. We did Brachot, we did Shabbat, Eruvin. Now we're starting today Masechet Psachim. Bezrat Hashem, today it's number six, I believe, no? Number six. And uh, we have uh, still a long way to go until we finish the entire Talmud. We don't, we're not really finishing the entire Talmud. We only finish what we call the Haggadetot. Haggadetot is stories or wisdom, knowledge, general knowledge that appears in the Talmud we're reviewing. All the halacha arguments, obviously we don't do because every page can take us a whole day, obviously. So I don't want anyone to when we finish the series, to think that he finished the whole Talmud, yeah? Maybe 1% of it we will do, all together, okay? So please don't, uh, <laughs> don't hallucinate. Uh, we're starting Masechel Psachim today. Uh, if you remember, just to refresh your memory, the last thing that we said last week uh, is Amar Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan says, In Israel, If we would not receive the Torah, the nation of Israel, we would have to learn modesty from the cat, not to steal from the ant, the ant and uh, modesty, how to behave with the, from the dove, from the pigeon, and manners from the rooster, the hen. Uh, you know, because it's very nice to his female, and not to steal from the, uh, the ants, that they're very careful, each one has his own pile, they don't take one from another, even when the owner of the other pile is not there, they're not taking, they're not touching, they're very honest. They believe they're on hard working. The normal uh, ant gets six times more than their lifetime. They work very hard. It's not necessary. With one little piece of uh, crumb of bread that they find and drag it all the way to their pile, they can live years. <laughs> you know? so, but they continue to work and work and work. No. And uh, that's where we finished last week. So today, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, continuing. Bat Kohen Israel en zivugam If a girl, her father is a Kohen. So what's her last name? Kohen, right? Not everyone that his last name is Kohen is really a Kohen. Not everyone that his last name is Kohen is a Jew. For instance, if the mother is Goya, the father is Cohen, we have cases like this, unfortunately. You ask him, what's your name? He can, he can tell you Baruch Cohen. Could be a better Jewish name than that. But he's a Goy. He can maybe speak Hebrew even. He's 100% Goy. I met one like this today in a garage. A guy comes in, Jewish last name, some kind of Ashkenazi last name, I forgot the name. But I had a feeling this guy is not a Jew. I had a feeling. And when he left, I asked my friend, the mechanic, I said, is he Jewish? He said, yeah. Because the mechanic doesn't know Torah. He knows how to fix cars, you know. So I said, well, how come he's Jewish? I asked one more question. He said, what do you mean? His father? Oh, he said, his mother is a convert, a Italian convert, Sicilian. So I knew that this guy looked to me something Italian. So he said, she converted. I said, where? He said, by that shul. <laughs> it's a reform shul. 
So I say to him, oh, so she never kept mitzvot. He said, no, she's not religious. So I told him, don't you know by now, after all these years, you're religious, that a convert that converted and never kept mitzvot, he stayed more goy than a goy? Don't you know by now? They don't get it. People just don't get it. They go with their heart, not with their brain. So this is the situation that we live in today. The last name means nothing. There's one very arrogant, nasty, dirty person. His name is Stern. Right? He's very famous. He makes a lot of money. And everybody says, look at this Jew. 100% a goy. And a filthy one. I know a lot of great goyim. But this one is a real dirty one. Whatever, whatever the name is. All right, so let's continue. So, Bat Kohen, a one that is really Jewish and her father is Kohen, the Gemara recommends greatly to her not to marry just another person. No. She has to marry, she has to try to marry someone that is also Kohen. Now it's Kohenah from both sides, if it's possible. But, what happens if she's a widow, or she's divorced? Obviously she can't, right? So in that case she doesn't have a choice. But if she's a single, she's never been married, okay. Also, she can't just marry any individual. She has to marry somebody who knows a lot of Torah. If she marry an ignorant, or she married somebody that is not an important person, and zivuga oleyafeh. No success in their zivug. I know about three or four, three women that her father is Kohen. They married regular people, and none of them were successful in their marriage. And if the Gemara says, the Gemara knows what they're talking about, right? Then either they won't have kids, or he will bury her, or she will bury him, which means they'll die young, one of them. Or they lose all their money, they have no blessing in their parnasa. So the Gemara says, wait a minute, we have a problem here. In another place we learned that somebody who wants to be wealthy has to search for the descendants of Aaron, Aaron the Cohen. He's blessed with wealth. So every one of his children has this blessing. So it says, stick to his descendants. In that case, the Gemara recommends to regular Jews to search for Kohanim to marry them. So why you warn the Kohanim not to marry just an Israelite? Right? It looks like a contradiction. The Gemara says, no. Make sure that you understand. All the warnings that I just read to you in the name of the Gemara, the Gemara says, it's only to regular Israelite that is ignorant. Then a woman that he, she's a Kohen, she has to stay away from him. But if he's a Talmud Chacham, he's even more important than Kohen. Which, which in case you didn't know, when you go to shul every Shabbat, if you go to shul, and if not, it's time to start on this coming Friday. Uh, on Shabbat morning, the first Aliyah to the Torah to go up to read in the Torah, to make a bracha, they give it automatically to a Kohen. But the truth is, most of the Gabaim in the shuls are ignorant themselves. They don't know any Torah. They don't know. I never learned. The business people who become a Gabai, the wealthy guy in a community, somebody that is a big shot in business, they make him a Gabai. 
you'll be the boss here. Not necessarily he knows Torah. Once in a while you have someone who knows Torah. Most of them don't know anything. So he doesn't know that really the truth is, we don't do it for different reasons, but the truth is that if we had a mamzer, what do you, what's the right word for mamzer in English? Illegitimate boy. Which means a married woman who cheated on her husband, now she has a boy from another man in a, while she was married to her husband. She, she gave birth to another man. The boy, it's called a mamzer. This is a disaster, a disaster. Why? He can never marry anyone unless if he's in the same status like him. But if a mamzer becomes a Talmud Chacham, he comes before a Kohen. So if the Kohen sits in a synagogue on Shabbat in his Amaharetz, ignorant, that doesn't know anything besides business, right? The mamzer that everybody pointed him, you see this guy? Mamzer, mamzer, Hashem Yirachem, poor guy, poor guy. He comes before the Kohen. Before the Kohen. Same thing in Berkat Amazon, you have to give the Kohen the Kiddush cup to make a bracha, right? We do Zimun. If he sits there, he knows Torah, he comes before the Kohen. And many other examples. So you show, you, you, Gemara teaching us the Torah is, if you know Torah right away, your studies automatically become the best. This is how important it is. It's so important that even a Goy who sits and knows a lot of Torah is considered like a Kohen Gadol in the eyes of Hashem. Goy, Sheyoshev, Osek Batorah, Reuke Kohen Gadol. Kohen Gadol, the most important person in the world. Who is he? Ahmed ben Fatma. He sits and learns a lot of Torah. Hashem loves him. Yeah. Amazing. Except from mitzvot. I didn't talk about mitzvot. I say knows Torah. No, there's no, no, there's no contradiction, I tell you why. Because it's true that the goyim are limited for what they can learn. Not everything they can learn. But there's nobody sitting with a gun to their head and tell them what to learn, what to learn. If Ahmed ben Fatma decided to be a Talmud Chacham, there's nobody to stop him. It's not my obligation and not yours. We cannot go there and watch him and supervise what he does. So nobody basically stop him. Of course, he's risking his life by learning it, because the Gemara in Sanhedrin, page Nun Tet, the Gemara says, Goy she hayav mita. Goy that sits and learns Torah, he deserves to be executed. Why? The Torah is a precious thing that was given to the nation of Israel, not to the Goyim. So by him doing it, he's bringing judgment on himself. That's a general rule. But we have to know by now, after learning so much Torah, that there's a rule, and there is an exception to the rule. Generally, to be more precise, the rule is like this. That the Goy is allowed to learn everything general. No problem at all. The creation of the world, he can learn as much as he wants. About the mercy of God, he can learn as much as he wants. All the his historical part of the Bible, he can learn as much as he wants. The war, the king, who against who, what God say to David, what David answer back, what God say to Moses. Everything he can learn, there's no problem. What the Goy is not allowed to learn, specific laws that apply to Jews, such as laws of Shabbat. Shabbat, to learn Shabbat, Muktzeh, this, allowed, to hit, not to hit, laws that are specific to the Jews, not to them, then it's a problem for him to learn. But I had a case, you know, I, I once told it. I don't know, it's about, by now, I don't, I don't know how many years, maybe seven years, eight years ago in Brooklyn, 
I gave a lecture in Brooklyn, and I had a black woman, non-Jewish woman. When I came to the house, I saw everyone there Israeli. The lecture is in Hebrew. When I see a black woman there, right away I know she's not Jewish, but I started to see that she's speaking a little bit Hebrew. Broken Hebrew, but she speaks Hebrew. So I thought to myself, maybe she's a convert, I don't know, you know. So I speak to the owner of the house. I ask him, is she Jewish? He said, no. But he started to smile. She said, but I, I won't be surprised if she knows Torah more than me and you together. <laughs> he tells me. I said, what do you mean? She said, all day she learns Torah. You know, she likes to learn Torah. She loves the, the religion. She loves the, everything about Judaism. So I say to myself, you know, I'm going to give a lecture now. I know that the Gemara warned the Goim that if they learn Torah, they risk their life. Why should I be the reason that something will happen to her? At least let me warn her. So I told her, you know, no offense, no, nothing personal. The Torah says, I know you respect the Torah very much. I heard, you know, are you aware of that, that Hashem gave the Torah only to the Jews and is not, is not obligating the Goim to learn? As a matter of fact, the Goy that learns takes a risk. She said, oh, yeah, yeah, I know about it, but it's okay, and this, anyway, I'm thinking to convert, whatever. So she sat in a shiur, she enjoyed, very good. The next day, he calls me up, he said, you're not going to believe what happened. I said, what? She, he said, she became paralyzed in half of her body. Young woman, not even 30 years old. The next day. It could be that it happened that night. He heard about it the next day. He called me all shaking. So maybe it's because of that, maybe not. We don't know. Hashem doesn't tell us about his actions. But it's very likely that it has something to do with that, the timing. But in general, like I said, I research about this question because I have a lot of goim that sends me email. Are we allowed to learn? We're not allowed to learn. I wanted to really know what the halacha says. General things, they're allowed to learn. The seven laws of Noah, they must learn. Not only they're allowed to learn, they must learn the seven law. So, there's another question. What happens if I see that a guy is about to make a scene that is one of the seven laws? Am I, as a Jew, has an obligation to warn him from not making the scene? I see a guy is about to steal from his friend a hundred bucks. A guy that steals is one of the seven laws. The punishment of a guy that steals is much worse than a Jew that steals. Because a Jew that steals has to pay double than what he stole. A guy that steals must be killed in a court of law. That's what Hashem says. No second chance. So therefore, the goyim that steal, it's much, much more dangerous for them. So if I see uh, Chris is about to steal from Christine something from her jeans in a gym, and I'm there, let's say I'm practicing there. Let's say, you know, let's say, it won't happen, but let's say. So let's say I'm in a gym, you know, and uh, I saw that he's about to do it. Now, is, is it my obligation to warn him? What do you think? It's a very, very problematic question, what I just asked, why? Because the answer to that is yes and no. You know these, uh, these questions that the answer is yes and no at the same time? You know or no? I'll give you an example. If a guy comes to you and offers you to buy tefillin, what do you understand right away? Huh? 
He stole it from a shul, no? Probably cleaning there. He saw somebody left it right away, took it, put it in his coat and ran. He knows it's worth a lot, this thing. Are you allowed to buy it from him or not? What's the... The answer is yes and no. Why yes and why no? Yes, because if you don't buy it from him, he's going to see nobody buys it, he throw it in the garbage. And then they throw it into the garbage car and they grind it and with all the dirt... It's no respect for the holy names of Hashem there to end it up in the garbage. That's the yes. Why no? Because if you buy from him now, he's going to go tomorrow morning and steal seven. Very good business. I became rich. That's it. I found a way to become rich. Look, this guy gave me 200 bucks, 300 bucks cash for a kosher pair of tefillin. What could be a better business than that? Everybody I see, a Jew with a yamaka, I come, I sell it to him. So the answer is, so what's the answer? So I have my own answer to it. If you're brave enough to, to take my advice, fine, if not. The answer is, you just give him one good zet to his face, grab it from his hand. Before he realizes what happened, you grab it from his hand and run away. Agonev miganav patur. You got it? That's really what you have to do to him. But you know, there's other, uh, other problems around this solution, so. So anyway, I'm in a gym now, and I see Chris is about to steal from Christine. Am I obligated to tell him? Even 25 for them, it's a, how much you worked for that 25? The next thing, he cleans the whole shul, and he's going to sell each one for 25. Maybe 25 cents. Fine. You know, anyway, so now Chris wants to steal from Christine, and I'm there. What's the yes, what's the no? The yes is, the no is that the Torah says, Ocheach tochiach et amitecha. Why the Torah didn't say, Ocheach tochiach every person? Ocheach tochiach means you have to inform and correct the ways of every one of your brothers before they make the sin, to save them from the sin and teach them that that's not the right way. Even after they committed a sin, you have to go and tell them what you did was very bad, make sure you don't do it again. Up to how many times you have to tell your Jewish friend that his way is bad? Up to a hundred times. If a hundred times you told them and it didn't help, leave him alone. Or if he's a clown, he makes fun and laugh. <laughs> you tell me what to do, I care about this, I care about God, I care about religion. You, you're crazy, I don't believe in it. All these clowns, don't waste time on him. Or if it's an arrogant, angry person that can hit you. Sometimes people react bad. Don't push your nose into my business, don't tell me what to do. Next time you talk to me, I'll break your bones. A mafia guy, people like this, you have no obligation to tell them what to do. They lose. Their anger will push them deeper in hell. And when they scream to God, why you didn't send me anyone to warn me? The answer of Hashem will, say, will be, I send you 10,000. But every, every one of them saw the way you look and you behave. They got scared of you. So you brought it to yourself. If you be a nice, pleasant person, they will come and talk to you. But now when they see who you are, they're afraid you stab them. You know, today they stab you if you took someone's parking by mistake. You don't need that much to be stabbed and killed, you know, so... So that's the... So the reason is the Torah says, you have an obligation to stop the Jews and to correct the Jews. No, no one else. 
On the other hand, when the Goy makes a sin, who gets upset? Hashem. Why Hashem gets upset? Because when Hashem said to a creature that he created, do not do A, B, C, and that person does it, it makes Hashem upset and angry. Someone like me or you that wants to love Hashem and wants to be close to Him, when we see someone is about to get Hashem angry, we would do everything we can to prevent it, no? So that by that, we have to tell Chris, hey, what you're doing is not permitted. So what's the answer to it? I don't know. I don't know. If you find the answer to it, you tell me. If you are obligated or not. It's more look like from what I saw in the book that you don't have an obligation. That's really the halacha. But there's two ways to the coin to look at that. It can be from here, from there. It can continue to argue about it. So the Gemara says, you have to know that Bat Kohen has to find herself either a Kohen to marry or Israel but he has to be a Talmud Chacham, that he knows Torah, he learns Torah, he goes to learn every day, then the Zivug is very well. Someone who is a Talmud Chacham, a great scholar, that learns Torah constantly, that's the main thing in his life. At the same time that he learns a lot of Torah and knows a lot of Torah, he likes to party a lot. Not in a nightclub of Manhattan. Somebody like this is complete wicked. We're not talking about somebody like this. Someone that is 100% legit. He dresses well, he behaves well, he comes to yeshiva every day, he can give beautiful speeches, but he likes to sit everywhere with the guys and girls, whatever, in a party, in bar mitzvah, in a sheva brachot, in wedding, in a restaurant, in a chanukat bayit. To party with them, pizza, sushi, gujguje, or savo, whatever they serve over there, you know? He likes to eat with the guys. Bismoishmo, why not? Why not? Just because I have a beard, I cannot enjoy life. Lebasof machrivet beto. His home will be destroyed eventually. Shocking. Shocking, why? Who knows why? Come on. So if you see somebody that knows so much Torah and learn Torah, not a thief, not a murderer, not a rapist, Shomer Shabbos, make brachot, make birkat amazon, give a lot of tzedakah, learn Torah, teach Torah, honest, not a thief, watch his eyes, don't talk to the ladies. What does he do? Sit in a restaurant every few days and eat with all the people around him or in, in parties, in weddings, in bar mitzvahs. Sits a lot and eat. No, what's the problem? Marbese udato be kol makom. Sits a lot to eat in public. Kol makom, everywhere he is, he sits in public and eat with the people. No, what's the problem? Humble, no? Good, no? It's disrespect for Hashem. Disrespect for Hashem. Why is disrespect for Hashem? Because when a person eats, he looks like an animal. No difference between a person that eats to an animal that eats. Eating and doing all the other physical pleasures that the body needs and do brings you down to a level of an animal. If a person has relation with someone, he's an animal at the same time. The animals are doing the same thing. 
When a person is eating with his, with his desire, he's just like an animal. But when the person uses his soul, it's just like God. Big extreme. One minute you're an animal, the next minute you are God. Neshama elokit. So when you are an animal, make sure no one is around you. Why? Because you're not just another person. You are a representative of God. Everybody knows you are that great Talmud Chacham that everyone is talking about. Imagine you see Rabbi Ovadia Yosef sits in a restaurant on Main Street every two days and eating steak. Wouldn't you lose your respect to him? He really didn't make any crime. What did he do? He eats glad kosher steak. He brought it from home. They just grilled it for him. But just by looking at this Chacham eating his steak, right away his level goes down in your eyes. I'm not talking about everyone who knows a little Torah here. Talking Talmud Chacham, a real Talmud Chacham. Me'almenet ishto, chas v'shalom, he dies young and his wife becomes a widow. his kids become orphans. Talmudo mishtakeach mimeno, he ended up forgetting all his Torah in the end for behaving like this. And many arguments and contradictions are coming to his direction. Fights, arguments in his congregation, in his yeshiva, in his whatever he does, in his business. When he finally gives divrei Torah to people, nobody accepts. talking to the wall. Comes from here, goes out from here right away. Mechalel Shem Shamaim is Chilul Hashem. Disrespecting Hashem, disrespecting his father, disrespecting his rabbi. It's everyone gets the shame. Hashem gets the shame because he's the founder of the Torah and he's his representative. If I represent Microsoft and I sit in a garbage restaurant to eat, right away they say, look at the face of Microsoft. <laughs> look where he's sitting and eating. If I sit in a fancy restaurant, it's good for them. If I sit in a, not such a good place, it's not good for the reputation, right? If I get pulled over by a cop and everybody knows I'm working for Microsoft, it's not really respect for them. That's how it works. Same thing to his father, same thing to his teacher, to his rabbi. <coughs> I don't know, is the AC not working there? Not working. What happened? So, Makes bad reputation to himself and his children at Kol Adorot until the end of time. He'll go from word to mouth, from word to mouth, and he never dies out. Tanura Banan, Leolam Imkor Adam Kol Masheyeshlo, Veitza Bat Talmid Chacham. A person is obligated to sell everything he owns if it's necessary. If it's necessary, not to sell for no reason, if there's no choice. As long as he can marry a, a daughter of a big Talmud Chacham, of an important rabbi, someone who comes from yeshiva, from good yeshiva, good family, he has a daughter. And he says, my daughter will marry someone, but she has condition. She wants this, she wants that, she wants an apartment, she wants a car, she wants, I don't know. 
She wants a $50,000 diamond ring. Whatever the case may be, I'm just making a joke out of it. She has a list of demands. But she's important, she comes from such an important family, and you don't have cash to do what she wants. And you have a car, and you have a watch, and you have, uh, I don't know, uh, well, a computer, whatever you have. It's worth it for you. Actually, it says here it's an obligation for you to sell everything you have and not miss the opportunity on going on a date and marry her. Why? There is no price, no price to get a daughter that born and raised in a house of a holy person. You have no idea what the difference in her modesty, in her faith, in her devotion, in her, in her behaving, in, it, in, in her way that she's going to raise kids because she has the best teachers, father or mother. Right away, sometimes you see right away, this person grew up in a very important house, there's no other way. So, why, what's the real reason though? Why you have to marry a daughter of a rabbi or a daughter of a Talmud Chacham? What's the secret here? That in case you die, God forbid, who is going to raise your children? Her father. If her father is a shoemaker in a market that never opened in his life one time a book, He's a very good man. Maybe he doesn't steal in a business. He comes to synagogue for slichot five in the morning. No problem. He's not a criminal, but he doesn't know any Torah. How can he teach your children Torah? He doesn't know himself. He knows how to fix shoes. He knows how to sell gold bracelets, but he doesn't know anything else. He never learned Torah. Not that he's a bad person. Don't get the wrong idea here. Very nice, nice person. Generous, nice, friendly, everything. But poor guy, he doesn't know how to learn Torah and definitely not how to teach Torah. So if you die, at least you know that your father-in-law is going to raise your children. That's why it's important that you get a girl from a house that her father has what to offer. Oh, that's the answer here. Then we continue. You do everything you can not to marry a daughter of an ignorant. Why? She met that if he dies or go to exile or go to jail, who knows, they go and put him in jail, there's so many things can happen. His children would stay for the rest of their life. His children would stay ignorant for the rest of their life because there's no one to teach them and give them an example. Tanu Rabbanan. A person, now it's from the other side, a father of a girl has the same obligation to sell everything he can to take the money and get his daughter a Talmid Chacham. That his daughter will marry a Talmid Chacham. Everything he can for him to marry Talmid Chacham or for his kids, for his, for his daughter to marry a Talmid Chacham. If he didn't find Talmid Chacham, let's see where he lives in China, there's no Talmid Chachamim. He's there, what can he do? Uh, so what can he do? He will find, he will try to find a daughter of a president of a congregation, of a, a person that has Zikui Arabim. He built a shul, he's supporting a yeshiva, supporting a shul, is a president of an important congregation. So why? All the time they're busy with Torah in his house. It's also good. Not like a Talmid Chacham, but better than 
Nothing, obviously. He couldn't find, he would look for a daughter of a Gabay Tzedakah, collector, person who goes and knock on doors and collect money for yeshiva. Why? He sacrifices his life to bring money for Torah. Hashem loves him for sure. Better take his daughter than just another, another daughter, right, of someone else. If he couldn't find, he would look for a daughter of a rabbi of kids. Rabbi of kids, you know, that's just the beginning of his rabbi, rabbi, being a rabbi. Just started. It's his first year, he's teaching little kids. It's not the smartest rabbi in the world. That's why he starts with the kids. His daughter is also good. Why? He's also busy with Torah. No matter what, will not marry a daughter of an ignorant. No matter what. Why? I don't want to tell you why. If I tell you what, you get upset. But this is the words of Hashem. What can I do? Cannot change the Torah, even though I'm embarrassed to say it. Why? Because an ignorance is a sheket. It's like a worm on a floor. That's his value. That he doesn't know Torah. This is Hashem. Hashem said, not me. Don't say the rabbi said that I don't know Torah, so I'm like a worm on a floor. This is in the name of if the Torah, Masechet Psachim. And where does it say it? Uneshoteem sheretz. Shekets and sheretz. The lowest level. Valbnotehem uomer, dvarim chafzain, Deuteronomy 27, arur shochevim kol behema. What's the secret of this pasuk? Someone was with an animal, having relationship with his donkey, Bilam. What's the secret here? That some people are also considered animals. In their spiritual level, they're zero. So what's the difference between him and a worm? What's the difference? Sometimes the worm is better because the worm doesn't steal. The worm doesn't offend people. The worm doesn't make all kinds of crimes. And he does. So this is just words directly from the Talmud. We continue. Amar Rabbi Elazar, Amar Now please, you know, I hope, one thing I hope from this night lecture, because the topic is more or less the same tonight, that every one of you, I do not know any one of you personally, Baruch Hashem, there's a lot of people here. Everyone has his lifestyle. I have to believe that some of you falling into this category. Don't have time to learn Torah, you have business, you work very hard, you never, your parents never send you to yeshiva. Not necessarily it's your fault. But I have to say one thing, that the only reason I read it to you is not God forbid to make you feel horrible or bad. It's to wake you up, to see what Hashem thinks about us when we don't know Torah. That's the only way that somebody here can wake up and become a Talmud Chacham. The only way. There's no other way. No other way. If I offer you money, you won't come to learn Torah. You can make money somewhere else. If I'll show you, even for a minute in your lifetime, which is tonight, that you can be a very nice person with a very nice beard, and beautiful manners, and everything is great. You're a good father, you're a good husband, you're a good businessman, everything. But you don't know Torah. This is what Hashem says about you. What is it? Ama Rabbi Elazar, Ama Aretz, Asur Litlavotimo Baderech. If you have to go on a journey, make sure your companion will not be an ignorant Jew. Always go with someone who knows Torah that you have who to learn on the way. Sitting with him, it's bad influence. Don't go on a journey with him. If you have to share a camel, 
you have to share a, a, a room in a train, or whatever the case may be, or in a boat, don't go on a journey. Unless, if you have someone who can open a book and learn, then you go. Not, otherwise, don't go. Why? If he doesn't have mercy on his own eternity, do you think he cares about your soul? He doesn't have mercy on his own soul. He comes to Hashem after a hundred years that he's been here. He doesn't know one page of Torah. He doesn't care about himself. You think he cares about your soul? He will not let you learn a minute. Let's play Sheshbesh. Let's play cards. Let's drink Rechaim. Let's dance with the ladies. And it gets worse and worse. That's reality. Who can tell me that it's not true? The more ignorant you are, the more a clown you are. You want to laugh all the time. Yeah, get your friend. He's a good joker. He tells good joke. That we won't be bored. Yeah, no, bring. If he didn't bring the sheshbesh, they're ready to kill him, the friends. What are we going to do now, a week on a boat, without the sheshbesh or cards? I have guests coming to me for Shabbos. When I invite a bunch of guys, almost always they bring cards and all kinds of things to entertain them. Why? 20 hours Shabbos without finding what to do? Instead of taking advantage on the opportunity, they can sit and learn 10, 20 hours Torah to gain some knowledge. They make sure to bring the cards and after the meal in the morning, they go in the room, play cards. That's their Shabbat or Sheshbesh or whatever it is. So, Rabbi Akiva says, when I was ignorant, up to 40 years old, he did not know any Torah, so we still have hopes. It's not late yet. Almost everyone here is younger than 40, almost. When I used to be an ignorant, I used to think and say, just give me a Talmud Chacham, and I will bite him and crush him to pieces like a, like a, like a donkey. Why a donkey? Because when a donkey bites, you finished. He smash your bones, not only your muscles and your ligaments. He twists the whole bone. The bite of a donkey, forget about it. So Rabbi Akiva, not only didn't learn Torah, everyone who knew Torah and looked like an important Talmud Chacham, he couldn't stand him. Say, just bring him to me, I'll give him a bite, I'll break his bones. Amrulo Talmidav, Rabbi, why you say like a donkey? Say like a dog. They think that a bite of a dog is worse than a bite of a donkey. Rabbi Akiva say wrong. I know why I say donkey. Because when a dog bites, he makes a serious damage. Holes all over from his teeth. But it doesn't break the bone. Up to the bone, he can bite. More than that, no. When a donkey bites, the bone is finished. You need a cast for three years, if you can fix it. That's why I say donkey. That's how much I hated them. That's he's teaching his student. Why is honest? He wants to show them without Torah how you become. Tanya Aya Rabbi Meir says, Kol amasi bito Someone who marries his daughter to Amaretz, to an ignorant Jew, is like tying her to a tree and releasing a hungry lion. Uh, there's a hungry lion. He released him from his leash. 
and tie his daughter to a tree, and I don't have to tell you what the lion is going to do to somebody who ties to a tree, right? Same way a lion hit with his head when he runs. First thing he hit with the head. Once the, the, the deer falls and loses balance, the next thing he bites him in the neck and he begins to eat all his face is blood. He doesn't care who looks, who takes picture. He's hungry right now. Standing in a in a window of the restaurant, I don't want to say names, everybody walk by and see you with all the hummus all over your face like this, or in McDonald's, whatever. A lion. <laughs> what a lion, Dores ve'ochel ve'en lo boshet panim, he doesn't know what shame is. Same thing an ignorant person. Ama aretz, makeh ve'boel, beat up his wife, hit her, force her to be with him when she's not in a mood. He doesn't know what shame is. All he wants is to satisfy his needs and his desires. Everything else is not, he can care less on. Rabbi Eliezer says, Rabbi Eliezer speaks in the name of all the chief rabbis of his time. And he says, if they wouldn't need us to do business with us, to sell us rugs, to sell us furniture, today it's to sell us cars. If we would not give them anything that they want, they would kill us. What do they need us here? They cannot stand us anyway. It's so true. Go to Israel, see what's happened. Everyone that is not religious, almost everyone, when you see a religious person, he almost die from hate. If you don't believe me, go on the news one day and see an article about religion. Read the comments that they write. From 100 comments, 85, 90 are completely anti-religious. 10 or 15 are biased, objective, try to keep balance, you know? All the others, put the, return them to Auschwitz. What do we need them here? What do they do? They don't go to the army. They're bloodsuckers. They leech. They're destroying us. They're forcing the religion on us. We cannot stand them. I wish you would die. Let's say somebody got saved. It's too bad that he got saved. Things like this. That's how they talk. <laughs> what do you want from the Nazis? 50% <laughs> of the people that walk around you in the street think like this about you. What do you want from the Nazis or from the Arab? What? <laughs> you blame them? Your brother and your cousin think like this about you. This is it. It's, this is the source. The Torah said that that's how it's going to be. That's how it's going to be. Rabbi Chia say... I, I hope you understand what I'm saying here. If you learn Torah in front of someone who is anti-religious, it's like stealing his fiance and making a scene with her in front of his eyes. That's how angry he gets when he sees you learns Torah. He can't stand it. He can't stand it. Be quiet over there. Shh. I can't hear this. Don't you have something else to do? Can you take it somewhere else? <laughs> yeah. What do you think? Try to learn on a bus loud a little bit. Go try to learn in Tel Aviv on a bus, some Torah. It's a matter of 30 seconds that somebody cut and make sure, come and make sure that you'll be silent for the rest of the ride. Yeah. What do you think? In Germany, they wouldn't do it. They'll be embarrassed. They hate you maybe from inside, but they'll think twice before they make a comment. Over there, Hofshi. 
no problem. גדולה שנאה ששונאים עמי ארצות את החכמים, the hate of the ignorance to the rabbis is much greater than the hate of the going to the rabbis. גמרא מסכת פסחים, don't say I said, everything I read word by word, from the Torah. This is what Hashem told us. או you become a תלמיד חכם, או you become a hater of Hashem. Almost there's no in between. ונשותיהם יותר מהם, and the wives of the ignorance hate the rabbis even more. What? You send a check to that rabbi, $18? I'll kill you. I want to divorce you. Why you didn't ask me before? She go crazy. Put a stop payment on a check. You fool, it's going to cost me $30 to put stop payment on a check. It's only $18 the check. I don't care. It's the point. It's the principle. I hear this conversation everywhere I go. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. Who hates the religion the most? Who? And who is the hardest for him to become religious? Shana uperesh kashe mikulan. Someone who was religious when he was young and left the religion hates the religious people the most and hate the religion the most, more than anybody, and it's almost impossible for him to return and make repentance ever again. It happens sometimes, but very rare. Why? It's like poison of a snake inside his blood. And he has a, many excuses, many excuses why he hates the religion. תנו רבנן, שישה דברים נאמרו בעם הארץ. Six things Hashem say not to do with the ignorant Jew. Let's see. לא מוסרים לו עדות. You don't participate him in a testimony you're about to testify in court. You cannot rely on him. You don't testify in front of him. And you don't receive a testimony from him. Its testimony is not reliable. Whatever he say, you cannot believe. You never share him in a secret. Somebody told you a secret, never ever share it with the ignorant person. You cannot make him in charge of orphans that their parents die, and the court has to make a person trustee, trustee to watch the, 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 the estate of this couple that died. They have little children. So the court, the base dean, even today, they have to find a person that he's going to hold the millions or the thousand, whatever the parents left, until these kids will be 18 years old, and then give them the money to decide what to do with that. But if he's, if he's 10 years old, if he's 5 years old, he cannot know what to do with the money. Somebody has to watch the money. You never, the, the base dean is not allowed to take a religious Jew that is ignorant. He must take someone who knows Torah. Cannot take an ignorant person and put him in charge of their money. Why? He doesn't know laws. Even if he's not a thief, he's going to steal so much without knowing. He's going to use it here, he's going to borrow from it, he's going to return, it's going to be matters of interest. He's going to do things that he's not allowed to do. He will invest it in the wrong way. Who knows what he can do? And memanim oto apotropus al kupa shel tzedakah you don't make him in charge of charity fund of the public, not in shul, not in yeshiva, not in organization and congregation. Make sure that the person in charge of the money is someone who knows Torah, learns in yeshiva all his life. 
Not someone who doesn't know who is Avraham Avinu. If he holds the money of the congregation, do you think he knows what's allowed, what's not allowed, what to do, what not to do? I heard about a person in, uh, in Brooklyn, which was a very wealthy man, very wealthy man, and six months before he died, he died young. He got a heart attack two years ago and died young. He didn't even make it to 60. But six months, maybe, maybe what happened to him caused him to get a heart attack. Six months before he died, my friend called me from Brooklyn and said, you're not going to believe. It's one of the most famous people in the community. They found that he stole more than half a million dollars from the fund of the shul. And he's a very wealthy guy. He has buildings, he has tons of stores, real estate that paying him rent. He drives very fancy car, he has a boat, he has a navigation house, summer house. No, what else a person needs? The money was in his hand. That's what they found. Half a million is missing. You know, the United States gave Iraq $10 billion to rebuild Iraq, and the money disappeared. Did you know that? I read an article about it two or three weeks ago. $10 billion, $10.5 billion disappeared, and they don't know where it's gone. Can you believe such a thing? $10 billion? Just for you to know, United States own Israel and control Israel for $2.5 billion a year. That's what they give Israel, that's all. $2.5 billion assistance every year, military assistance. So it's four years right there. Four years of budgets to Israel disappear, nobody knows. They try to find where the money is. Can you believe such a thing? That's what they just found. Who knows how many hundreds of billions and trillions are disappearing from the taxpayer money and nobody knows what's going on. So, you don't put him in charge of a charity fund. You don't walk with him on the way, as I mentioned before. That's the six things. And there's one more thing. If he lost an object, he lost his wallet, he lost his discman, he lost his laptop, you don't have to look for him and return it to him. Like you must do it for every other Jew. Who are we talking here about? Amaretz. That's not the Alachado. That's why it's a Yesh Omrim. Some says the halacha is not like this. The halacha is a little bit different. A mechalel Shabbos, someone who is not keeping Shabbos, is 100% like a goy. If he lost an object, you don't have to return it to him. You can keep it. If you went to his neighborhood and you saw him on Shabbat sitting on the street smoking or speaking on his cell phone, oh, you can turn around, whatever it is, a million dollar, five million dollar, diamonds, whatever you find, and you know it belongs to him, you turn around and you go home and you got lucky. Yes, that's the halacha. Don't have to search for him. If you know in advance, let's say you found something and it says on it, Yossi Sarid. Yossi Sarid is the Israeli Haman. If you found something that belongs to him, you don't even have to go look. You know who he is. You keep it. But if you find something that belongs to a Shomer Shabbos, even to China, you have to make sure he gets it back. Why? Because Mechalel Shabbat in the Halacha is considered like a goy. Because Judaism starts with Shabbat. Somebody asks you, what's the foundation of the building? Without foundation, you don't have a building. You can build a hundred floors. No foundation, you're grinding water, you're wasting time. You want to be Jewish without keeping Shabbat? Impossible. Shabbat is the foundation. The four 
foundation, the four corners of the building is Shabbat. You have Shabbat, you progress with all the rest. You don't have Shabbat, you have no share to the world to come anyway, so what's the point? You should know that. That's the Torah. You don't believe me? I'll show it to you in seven different chapters in Shulchan Aruch. Good enough for you? Seven sources only in Shulchan Aruch. If you're still not convinced, I'll show it to you in 20 places in the Gemara. If you're not convinced, I'll show it to you in the Zohar. If you're not convinced, I'll show it to you in the Chumash, in the Torah, in many different places. If you're still not convinced, don't come anymore. Don't waste our time. What else can I do? You want me to dance for you? With a snake maybe, with a chalil, a flute? Maybe you become religious? Come on. Prove it to me, prove it. Some people don't come to get proofs, they look for excuses. One rabbi was walking out of the shul on Shabbos morning with the Talmidim, with the students, and one student that used to be in yeshiva, now is Mechalel Shabbat, walks in the street with a cigarette. He see from far away all the Talmidim came out of the yeshiva building, right away he threw the cigarette from the rabbi, he's embarrassed, from Hashem, he's not so embarrassed. Baruch Hashem, no. So, he walks towards the rabbi, he wants to know if the rabbi saw him with a cigarette or not. Okay, so he comes to the rabbi, he says, Rabbi, I'm so glad I found you. He says, Yes. He says, I have a question that bothers me for a long time. I ask him some question, not such a complicated question. So the rabbi says, You're right, it's a very hard question, I don't have the answer. So then he said, Rabbi, but I have another question. Rabbi listened to the question. You're right, I don't have the answer. But I have another question. Every question he asked, the Rabbi said, you're right, very hard question. I don't have the answer. Then he realized something is not right here. He told him, Rabbi, I know you from the days I was in Yeshiva. You know the answers to all the questions. How come all of a sudden I ask you all this question for somebody like you should be a piece of cake? All of a sudden you don't know anything. What's going on? The rabbi say, I only have answers to questions, not to excuses. You don't have questions, you have excuses. There's a difference. Excuses means you don't even listen to my answer. As soon as you realize that I'm about to answer with my answer, you don't even interested to hear it. You already come up with a new question. Until I'm going to say I don't have an answer, then you relax. Why? Because you want to be wicked. Who are you telling stories? Everything I answer, you find something new. You want to tell me you waste my time? I told you the story that I had with the guy that came to Muncie, no? One guy came to Muncie with his friend, and he wants me to go out of the yeshiva and speak to him. You know, to argue with me. I didn't tell you the story that we sat in a car for two and a half hours? That's a good one. Two and a half hours, I give him all the proofs of this DVD, Torah and Science, one after the other. The whole DVD, I repeat it in person for him. You know, he plays the flute and I dance. For two and a half hours in a humid day, inside the car, no air condition, because the car is off. No, after two and a half hours, we already have a crowd, you know, all the Hasidim passing by, they see an argument, the guy without a kippah, this, that. It's interesting. So, slowly, slowly, we have a crowd. After two and a half hours, I see, I ask him, no, so did I convince you in any way? 
He said, absolutely not. Now I'm even more sure that my way is the right way. <laughs> now, Baruch Hashem, I learned body language, sign language, you know, how the body behaves. It shows a lot more than what you say. And I know when I was showing him all these things, he started to get nervous. He behaved nervous. He sees the truth, but he doesn't admit. So I told him, okay, so let's, before we finish, so you say this Torah, it's not from Hashem. So absolutely not. People wrote it, I can care less. So I told him, okay, I want to ask you just one little favor. He said, what? I said, just, I will say a few words and I want you to repeat after me. So, okay. I said, in the name of the writer of this book, the one who wrote this book, and wrote 100 different curses inside this book for people who don't listen to him, all the curses in, in this book will come on you. Say Amen. He looks at me. It took him uh, five, ten seconds to digest what he just heard. He looks at me like this. What? Are you cursing me? I said, God forbid, I'm cursing you. No. In the name of the writer of this book that wrote all these curses, may all the curses that he warned the people who don't listen to his instructions, may all of them come on you. Say Amen. I'm not saying anything. You say Amen. You say it's nothing, this book, no? No. I won't say amen. So I told him, why? If Muhammad will come to me, if Ahmed will come to me and say, in the name of Muhammad and his Quran, all the curses of the Quran will come on you, I'll say five times amen. Why do I care? I know it's nothing. I have to worry about a phony book full of mistakes? No. I'll say amen, no problem. In the name of Muhammad, all the bad that you want will come, no problem. They only knew where Muhammad is right now. <laughs> So, what's the problem? Say Amen. No, I won't say Amen. It's getting red. Oh, yes, say Amen. No, be Amen. Say Amen. You say it's nothing, no? Say Amen. No, yes, no. Boom. He started to cry. He broke up. He started to cry like a kid. Crying. <laughs> I got nervous. You know, I've seen a lot of people in argument. It says, Mamash broken. He's crying, tears in his face. So you got me. So you're wasting my time. Two and a half hours after five minutes, you're convinced already. But the ego, the ego is a killer. You rather die and not admit that this is the truth. Why? Because as soon as you tell me that's the truth, I'm going to ask you, are you coming tomorrow for Shabbos? You're afraid already of the outcome. <laughs> so you found an easy way out. No, no, I don't believe in it. You can lie to me, but you cannot lie to him. So, this is it. That's the sixth restriction for Amaharetz. Rabbi Yosef Bereder Rav Yoshua Ben Levi. Rabbi Yoshua Ben Levi is one of the ten people who never died. They went with their body to heaven. Eliyahu Anavi, Eliezer Revit Avraham, there's few people. Some going, few going also. They went. Hashem just picked them up without burial, without death, and took them to heaven, whatever that means. He had a son before he passed away, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, before he went to heaven. His name is Rabbi Yosef. One time he died, clinical death. 
That's why we speak about life in a lecture, life after life. No, people die and come back to life. Ichlash ve'it negid. He went out of this world. Ki when he came back, Amar le'abua, his father told him, Mai chazit, what did you see up there? Amar le'olam afuch ra'iti. He told him, I saw an opposite world over there. Everything is the opposite over there than here. Everyone who is important here is garbage over there. And everyone who is garbage over here is a king over there. Which means all the billionaires and millionaires and movie stars and athletes and basketball stars and all these politicians that everybody's jealous with. They control the media, they control the government, they control the army, they control Hollywood. They're very important over here. Over there, they are nothing. And all the people that nobody knows about. This Talmud from the yeshiva, 20 years old, walk with two gmarot, with his bicycle. Who, who pays attention to him? He's not on television. He doesn't have his own show. Huh? No, if he comes to the club, they don't let him in. <laughs> Sir, we are full. <laughs> well, you know, this world, it's such a funny world. Even to be a liar, you have to have some shame. Some shame. For instance, if you're a bouncer in a club or in a restaurant, and your job is to select which people you want in, which people you want out, right? Okay. So that's pure racism for whatever you know, the reasons are. And if this is the policy of the club, no, fine. But one thing I don't understand. <laughs> you come to the club, they don't want to let you in. So what do they say? Sir, we are packed. We have, it's very crowded inside. We cannot let new people in. As he's lying to you, every other one who comes and he likes, he opens the rope and he lets him in, in front of your face. <laughs> he just told you, yeah, I'm telling you. Yes, it's a big lawsuit now in Israel. The guy is suing the club. We, are, we made reservation on the phone. We have a birthday party, 15 people. Everybody stands over there. They all got dressed nice. They don't let them in because they're not European style, whatever it means. And maybe 20 people in front of their eyes went in as they're arguing and they say we are packed. We overcrowded. Big lawsuit. They lost. The club lost. No, at least the judge had some common sense. No, just to show you. So he says to him, my friend, my son, no, 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 it's not the opposite. Over there it's the real world. Over here it's the opposite. That's the world of the sheker, of the lie. Over here everyone lies. Just imagine if people could read other people's mind. <laughs> You wouldn't, after one day, nobody would come out of his house from the embarrassment. Everyone who sees me reads my mind. <laughs> you see somebody you don't like, you cannot control it. So imagine somebody come, usually you smile to him, you say good morning, you say good morning. If you could kill him, you kill him. So now he comes, he knows you're thinking, I wish I can kill this guy. <laughs> How you come out of your home? Huh? Your mother-in-law comes, your, your, your neighbor comes. Who knows, you know? We stand in court, the judge asks you a question. You cannot do anything. 
One of the Chachamim says, I'm so pleased that Hashem made a mitzvah to be humbled. Baruch Hashem, it's an obligation to be down to earth. Imagine if Hashem will force us to be proud. Imagine the Torah say mitzvah to be a show-off, to be a big shot. To be, you know, everywhere you go, to be a proud person, ego, show off. Imagine if this would be the obligation. How would I live here? <laughs> I know I'm such a zero. He was thinking, you know, it's called Masiach Lefitumo, thinking loud, thinking to himself, talking to his students. And he said, I'm thinking sometimes, imagine if Hashem would force me to be proud. I know I'm such a loser. If we would know 1% Torah of what he knows, we would be already showing off all over the media, the one who spoke. But he's so humble, so he said, I'm thinking if I had to be a show-off, how could I live here knowing I'm such a zero? Knowing I'm a zero, it's very difficult to show off. Very difficult. But today, it's all the opposite. So. The boy told him, there's one more thing I saw over there. What is it? They announcing, Ashrei mi lekan v'talmudo There's an echo over there. You know, Mr. Johnson, please come to the receptionist. No. Over there is different, different sound. Ashrei mi v'talmudo Everyone who came to this world will Torah knowledge how lucky he is. That's the message over there. You know, you go to the supermarket, you have messages. Thank you for coming to Ride Aid. Thank you for shopping with us. Over there is different. How lucky somebody who came to this world with lots of Torah knowledge. No? I hope I gave you enough appetite to learn Torah. If not... There's another announcement over there. What is it? Ashrei aruge malchut she'en briya yechola la'amod b'mchitzatam. How lucky those who were sent here after they got killed by the goyim because they are Jews. Nobody can stand in their level. You know? Somebody told you, I want you to cut your peots or to eat, uh, I don't know, to, to, to burn the Sefer Torah or to bow down to the idol and you refuse and they chopped your head off. You're the luckiest person in, in the universe. Why? You already go express. You know express? A shadow from NASA. All the way to the upper heaven. No, no stops in between. You go directly to Kisei HaKavod. The Gemara said, give an example. Who? If you're going to tell me, Rabbi Akiva v'chaverav, Rabbi Akiva and his other friends, you know, the Asara Rogem Malchut, on Tisha B'Av we cry, on the ten rabbis that the Romans butchered, one by one. Rabbi Akiva, they scratched his whole skin with metal, lines of blood. You know the story of Rabbi Akiva. He is called Arugay Malchut. Ela Arugay Lud. There's even a higher level than this. People that were killed in the city of Lod. It's a whole, a whole story now, but just to show you that people 
who died and sacrificed their life just because they didn't want to violate one of these rules of the Torah. It's called Haruge Malchut, that the government of the Romans, the army of the Greeks, whatever it is, they killed them, or the Christian Inquisition 500 years ago, that they were butchering Jews one after the other in the basement of the churches, ripping their body apart with tearing it, turning it around until the body was cut in the middle of the, of the stomach. Imagine they tie your hand and your legs and they turn it and they turn it, the, the, the hands coming out of the socket, uh, the hands coming out and the legs are coming out and the stomach ripped open. Pregnant women, you're starting to see the head of the baby and you're going, you're going to become Christian? Are you going to become? No, no. Shema Israel, they scream and die. No, what do you expect? Of course he goes to heaven. Huh? Somebody like this has to, can go to hell? No. No matter what he did. Something like this. That's what Rebbe says in the Gemara. Bacha Rebbe ve'amar. Rebbe cried and said, Yesh adam kone olamo berega achat. Some people can buy eternity in one moment. And he was 120 years old when he was crying. And he said, I'm 120 years old, who knows, I don't even know if I go express to heaven. Of course he did, he, he wrote the Mishnah as a, an important person. But he wasn't sure. But when he saw one convert that killed himself to save Jews, he said, ah, how lucky this guy. In one moment he goes express to heaven, and how much we have to sweat for it. Ktiv, ki gadol me'al shamayim chasdecha. In Tehillim 108, Psalms, what does it say? Ki gadol, me'al shamayim chasdecha. David HaMelech says to Hashem, Your kindness, chesed, is so great, is above heaven. That's how great it is. Uchtiv, ki gadol at shamayim chasdecha. In one place it says, Ki gadol me'al shamayim chasdecha. In one place it says, Your kindness is above heaven. And in another place it says, Ki gadol ad shamayim chasdecha. Up to heaven, not above. No contradiction. Every time you have supposedly contradiction, you have to go to the Gemara to see why. Ha-ketzad, how is it possible? Kan be'osim lishma, ve'kan be'osim shelo lishma. There's two categories of Jews. Jews who keep the mitzvot for the sake of heaven purely. I don't care if it's convenient, if it's going to bring me fame, if it will make me rich, will make me famous, I, will, I, will, I love it, I enjoy from it, it's good, I'm going to get married to a better girl thanks to this. All these calculations are not exist for them. What did Hashem say to do? This is what He said to do. I'm very tired. So what? I can learn today. I'm not in a mood. So what? Uh, I don't like it so much. Maybe I'll do it in a different way. So what? Who say I have to love it? Hashem told me to do. I do. That's called Leshem Shamayim. I do for the sake of heaven. No ego involved. No convenience is involved. Etc. Etc. And there are people who everything they do is for the sake of their stomach or their name, for instance. Sometimes a woman wants to make Sheva Brachot for the Chatan and the Kala in her house. And she invites a hundred people. Somebody that she knows, a guy or a girl, 
neighbor, cousin, I don't know. They just got married and she feels that she wants to do Sheva Brachot. Everybody sees her sweating, running, taking from the oven chickens, rice, cakes, serving, picking up dishes. Four or five hours, she doesn't even have times to sit. Everyone begs her, Miriam, sit, sit, eat with us. No, no, the rice, eh. Everybody is impressed. What a righteous woman. Look what she does. How much money. What a table like a king. Psh, I'm impressed. HaKadosh Baruch Hu give her zero for it. Why? She cares about the Chatan and the Kala. She sees them dead on the street. She won't even cry. She cares about her name. Everybody will compliment her for the next year everywhere they go. What a party she made. What a cake she made. How much meat was there. How many people she invited. She only cares about herself. She doesn't care about them. If it would be too Arab, she would do the same. Why? She won again kavod. I'm trying to be extreme for you to understand that there are people like this. Some people that give tzedakah to the shul on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. They care about the shul? Christine is his wife. Chris and Tom is his children. All his business is stealing and depressing people. He's selling drugs to kids and kill them day and night. Selling idols in his stores. Comes to shul and screams, 10,000! What's the reasons? First reason, ego. Wow, everyone is thinking, what a great guy. Look, 10,000. Ah, he's delighted. What's the second reason? To relax his conscience. You know he lives in a lie. What's the way to shut my conscience up? Be quiet, you little midget. Stop, stop annoying me from inside. Rabbi, I got something. I want to do something for you. Huh? Uh, I know a rabbi. Well, today it's hard to find, but I know one that somebody came to give him money and he knew he's a crooked person. So he told him, you came to the wrong address. I won't participate in your plan to relax your conscience. <laughs> face to his face. You want somebody else to help you to relax your conscience? So the guy said, what do you mean? I don't understand. Either he played dumb or he's really dumb. I don't know. So he said, Rabbi, I don't understand. So the Rabbi said, I'll tell you a story you understand. Say, if your car has check engine light blinking, oil pressure, oil pressure. You got to get it to the mechanic right away. You don't have time now to continue to drive. The car shuts off. Oil pressure, the engine is about to burn. You went to the mechanic. The mechanic say, Moshe, there are two ways to handle your problem. The easy way and the hard way. Which one you prefer? Tell me, what's, the, what's each option and I'll decide. So the easy option is you pay me $5, you go grab some drink, you come back five minutes later, the car is ready to go. The hard option is you leave the car here for three days and you pay me $7,000 and you come by the end of the week, your car will be ready. Which one you prefer? Rabbi, I mean, Moshe, you have a question what I prefer? Okay, let me go get a beer and I come back. Five minutes later he comes back. Here is the key. Shalom Aleichem. He drives five miles. The car goes on fire. What the genius did? Cut the wire of the warning light. <laughs> Cut the wire. Ah, no check engine anymore. <laughs> Understand? That's what these people do. Let me do. By the way, 
you'll be surprised. The, the risk of doing such an act of tzedakah is that you eliminate your conscious, and conscious is the most important thing in the life of a Jew. Any person, not only a Jew. Because the only one who can save you from where you're heading to is the conscious. If the conscious is eliminated, you are finished. You are a dead person already. You walk, you eat, but you're dead because no one will wake you up. You need something drastic to wake you up. So the conscious is the only friend that you have left that can get you out of hell. The only one. So by giving a big amount of money, building a building, something, you kill your conscience. Why? Because he won't bother you for the next five years. Because you already think, look at me, I'm the Israeli Bill Gates. Charity, donations, very good. But the good thing about it is that no matter what, donation is the best way to, to escape from the punishment. That's the truth. From death, from cancer, from problems, from who knows. And especially in these days, Elul, three weeks before the Judgment Day. Three weeks, everything is getting set up for Rosh Hashanah, 48 critical, hour, 48 critical hours, 13.2 Jews running in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, one after the other, like the sheep. How the sheep all trying to escape from one little entrance, one by one. That's what it is. Ba'im levanav kibnei maron. Farmers know what I'm talking about. When they open the gate, how all the sheep is trying to escape. But there's only one at a time that can go. Just before we finish, we have three more minutes. Amarav Yehuda Amarav. לעולם יעסוק אדם בתורה ובמצוות. A Jew has to keep himself occupied and busy with the Torah and the mitzvot. Even though right now he still does not do it for the sake of heaven. It's not in that level. He does what he likes only. He does it because somebody offered him money. Come, come to be mashli minyan. We need you for the slichot. No, I'm not, I don't go to shul, Rabbi. I only live by you, but don't start bothering me. No, don't worry, we'll pay you hundred dollars every day you come. Because we need, we need for Minyan, come. So he said, okay, if you pay me, I'll come. So what do you think? It's, it's a mitzvah. Even this is better than nothing, why? While he's coming, you hear the Bukharian Chazan, you know, Chatan Ulef, and Philharmonic of Queens. People think slichot. I have a friend, no, not a friend, but someone I know. Every year, he calls me about three, four weeks before Elul. This year he didn't call yet. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow morning. He calls me up, tell me, where, what day the slichot start? It's a complete chiloni. Halal Shabbat, still in a business. Every second word is a lie. He doesn't even want to accept any musar. You give him CD, he will never play it. You know, these kind of people. So he calls, when the slichot start? In, in two weeks. Make sure you call me the night before. And I said, 6.30 in the morning. No, I don't care. Just tell me I come. Tell me the address I come. <laughs> Why he wants to come? He likes the music. <laughs> <laughs> he likes the songs, beautiful songs. Especially the Sfaradi slichot. It's like going to a show. $300 a show in the Rainbow Room, in the CBS building. 
You have a good chazan, the Syrian is the best chazanim in the world. The Syrians in Brooklyn. You sit next to David Shiru, you feel like your soul is already out of your body. And some other ones. The best in the world. The soul enjoy. The Gaon Mivilna say good music can bring your soul almost to the gate of Torah. It's just a little bit below. Torah, you have to sweat all your life to gain. Music, you have to do nothing. You sit and enjoy. But the influence on music, on the soul of a person for good or bad, is almost exactly like the Torah. Psh, scary. You listen to this black uh, rap music of all the drug dealers and the narcotic and all the prostitutes out there on the, on the, on the television, it destroys your soul. Of course you cannot learn Torah. What do you expect? Of course you cannot be a good father, you cannot be a good person, you cannot be a good Jew. There's no chance. You're destroying your soul. It's like poison to the soul every day. <laughs> you can be a tzaddik, listening to this garbage. Ah, if you listen to holy kosher music like the, the Levim in Bet HaMikdash, people, as soon as they enter the area of Bet HaMikdash, they hear from the outside the music of the Levim, right away the Gemara said they make tshuva. Before the, the vidui, before the korban, they bring korban chatat, before they go in and the Kohen slaughter the sheep, and you see so much blood, and you cry. Before all this, just from the music, such an amazing music, the choir over there, that a person just come to there, over there, right, you see what's going on in Bet HaMikdash, right away become a tzaddik. The vidu is only for the record. I'm already, I already made tshuva outside, Rabbi. Don't worry. <laughs> true, it's true. If you start not for the sake of heaven, if you be consistent, one day it will be for the sake of heaven. That's why it's good sometimes to give the kids some candies here and there, give them some rewards to do mitzvot. Why? Because even if they don't like what they do, some of them, they get used to it. Once you get used to it, you like it one way or the other. You get used to it, that's it. You got used to it, you don't suffer anymore. And be in jail, you got used to there. You know, when people go to the Israeli army, that's one of the best examples to the power of hergel. You know what hergel in Hebrew means? Habits become nature. Habits. When every Israeli soldier joined the Israeli army, first day, it's a miracle how they not all, all of them killing themselves. It's a miracle. They come with hair, earrings, all, you know. You know, they come with a bag, with the music, CDs. They think they go on a honeymoon or something. <laughs> right away, one gorilla come, akshev, ah, stand right there. Hey, you, don't smile. You, on the floor. You, everybody, wait a minute, I didn't come for a picnic. Two minutes later, they put you by a barber that never cut hair until the day he joined the army. <laughs> he has a machine. It's not like the Bukharian. They're good barbers. Everywhere you go, this barber, this barber. They know what they do. Over there, right away, he takes the machine. Do you know how to cut hair? No. So why you cut hair? It's better than to be a fighter in Lebanon, no? They ask me, do you know how to cut hair? I say, yes. They put me here. Why do I care? I know. I don't know. Some of them cut only half of your head. You say, you stand by the mirror. You say, okay, well, finish the job. You say, no, I'm tired. <laughs> I finish the job. Bold half hair, bold the other half like this. You know, say, no, you want me to finish the other one? Ten bucks. Ten shekel. He looks around and nobody sees. I don't care, I have time. 
Right, the way they shave your head, they give you a uniform that 5,000 people wore it before you, a blanket full of lice, show you the bathroom with a hole in the ground and floods everywhere in the humidity of Tel Aviv. You see the, 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 the light blue and the, and the orange plastic plates. Ah, you get so depressed. This is the beginning. Three years later, the last day of the service in the army, all the soldiers stand before they get on a bus or people come to pick them up and crying. They miss the army. Uh, I don't mind to stay another month with my friends. I, I got used to this place. <laughs> Many of them signed for another two or three years service with a lousy salary, but they love it so much. That's called moral, poison. It's already poisoned by that, so the army took his heart away. Can't leave. You offer him career, he's a computer genius, he doesn't care. Can't live one day without the army. If he has 10 days off from the army, he's counting, when will I go back? Why? When he came to the army, he was depressed, crying. Now he got used to it. If this lousy lifestyle, people get used to it, the beautiful Torah, people won't get used to it. So why take some time? Because you have to get rid of all the impurity around your soul. It's full of spiritual dirt. It's clipot. Get rid of it. Then you feel the sweetness. We finish for today. We're still in Masechet Psachim. Bezrat Hashem next week. If we get lucky, we'll be able to finish Masechet Psachim. Probably not. And then right after that, the week before Rosh Hashanah, we will start Masechet Rosh Hashanah. Perfect timing. No, I didn't even plan it that way, but it seems that that's how it's going to be. Thank you very much again.